think, to describe this than this particular diagram. But basically, if, the, if, it, if someone is living where uh, the horizontal is all that matters, and someone else is trying to live uh, in this overly spiritualized life, the horizontal doesn't matter at all. Uh, they're both missing the point. The point of the blessed life is that our happiness, our, our uh, ability to stay uh, joyful and focused is affected by our circumstances. We live in a real world. Those of you who've been with me through Philippians know that circumstances have something to do with uh, whether we're doing well or not, and that's to be expected. The blessed life, what the blessed life does is it takes all of the horizontal in life and filters it through the vertical. It takes all the horizontal in life and it interprets it by the vertical. So the blessed life is still, still involves the horizontal. It's still, it's still about circumstances, but it's how we process those circumstances. It's how we interpret them. It's how we respond to them. And that's the beauty of the blessed life. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit uh, about today. And, um, and I just realized I forgot to tell you something. Uh, can I just pause for just a minute and give an announcement? Because it's actually kind of important. Um, I just looked down and I saw it in the notes here. Um, for the last uh, five or eight weeks, uh, we have been, at least during Advent, we've been talking about the pastor's training program. How many of you have ever heard us mention the pastor's training program? Okay, good. If you have been here more than one week and, and uh, haven't heard that, uh, that I need to preach louder or something. But um, So the pastor's training program uh, is our attempt to try to um, minister, particularly in the country of Sierra Leone, so here's what I want to tell you today. This is super encouraging. Someday, not too many years from now, you're going to meet a brother or sister from Sierra Leone. And they are going to have had such a love for Jesus, but they've been living off the smallest of breadcrumbs. And then they got some training and they got access to the scripture and they have been feasting ever since. And you have been a part of that. So we've been trying to raise $15,000, which will fund the pastor's training program for one year in Sierra Leone. We have about 10000 of it. Today's the last Sunday. This week's the last Sunday to give. I'm grateful for the 10000 on behalf of all these Sierra Leonean brothers and sisters. I want to say thank you. And if you want to continue to contribute, you've got this week to do it. Okay. How's that? We good? Okay. So today we're going to look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, in case you're wondering. I think most of that is in the bulletin, the text there. Uh, these two psalms uh, really set the tone uh, for... Um, there we go, come on. There we go. Uh, I want you to see that, first of all, these two psalms are connected. They're connected by the opening verse of Psalm 1, blessed is the man who, and they're connected by the ending verse of Psalm 2, blessed are all who. This concept of blessing are the bookends of these two psalms. Just so you're aware, uh, the psalms, there's 150 of them in the Old Testament, what we call the Hebrew Bible. And the Jews, these were the public prayers of the Jews. Sometimes they were private prayers made public. Sometimes they were prayers written for the public, uh, you know, the congregation reciting them. 
And uh, they were written over hundreds and hundreds of years by a handful of different authors. A lot of them are attributed to David, are written on behalf of David. But these psalms, over the course of time, were deliberately arranged into book one, book two, book three, book four, and book five. And the psalms actually tell the whole story of the Bible. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are deliberately put at the beginning of all 150 because they set the tone. Like when you pull into a, a state park or national park, they give you a little map of the whole park. That's what Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 do. It is no mistake that through the 150 psalms, there's lots of psalms that are what are known as lament psalms. You know, the, the difficulty of living in a fallen world but the ability to turn in a fallen world from the horizontal to the vertical. Those are called lament psalms. They dominate so much of these 150 songs or psalms. But do you remember how the book ends? Increasingly, the book ends, particularly the last about uh, four or five psalms with hallelujah, 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 praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Why is that? Because what begins in Psalm 1 and 2 and goes through the fallen world is headed somewhere. That's why I encourage you to, to live your life in the Psalms. There's so many resources for that. But, so we're just going to look at the starter Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 today. And I want you to think about this word blessed. Because this word blessed, uh, there's several different original Hebrew words for this. The primary word is a word called ashri. And that's what this word is here in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Its most basic meaning, which is what's, uh, what it means here, its most basic meaning, and that, by the way, that's always a good default if you ever had a sort of Bible dictionary and you're looking up the meaning of a word, always go with its most fundamental basic meaning unless the text forces a more narrow meaning. And here we have the most basic meaning of the text, and that is it's the experience of living under God's favor. Nothing profound, the experience of living under God's favor, that's what it means to be blessed. Let me say it a couple different ways. It's living with an unkinked hose in the presence of God. You know, there's no kinks between you and God. The hose is unkinked. You are directly experiencing the acting presence of God. It's being in sync with God is another way of saying it. Or the New Testament says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or in John 15, it's abiding in Christ. All of those things mean the same thing. Consciously living under the active presence of God. It's not a suffering-free life, I hope you know. You'll see that just from Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. It's not a suffering-free life. The blessed life isn't. But it is a prosperous life. It is a prosperous life. Now, sometimes it's prosperous financially. Sometimes it's prosperous relationally. Sometimes it's prosperous in terms of your physical health. But it doesn't have to be. You cannot have any of those things and still be prosperous, as we're going to see here this morning. So, first of all, let's look at the main activity of a blessed new year from Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the person, the one, that's really a good translation as well, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. So here's the primary activity of Psalm 1. Bible-saturated delight. You want to get a good sense of what this means. You want to get a sort of Psalm 1 expanded, especially on the, the word delight. Look at the longest psalm in all of the 150. You know what it is, right? 119. Most of you who know your Bible know that. And so here's this one. We could have picked any one of the eight verse stanzas, but I just picked this one somewhat at random. But just listen to how the person writing this delights in the law. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This law has given me hope. It's not only given me hope, it's given me comfort in my affliction because it gives me life. This, this law gives me life. The insolent, however, the arrogant, the proud, I constantly feel them deriding me. It's just like I feel the other voices just suffocating out my delight. But I don't turn away. I, just fi- I stay fixated. Same idea of Psalm, Psalm 1. And it goes on. Here we go. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Again, comfort in these ancient, beautiful truths, the law of God. And then hot indignation. I mean, you can hardly find words to describe the emotion here. Seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. And by the way, most of the time in the Psalms, when you see the wicked, they're not talking about unbelievers. They're talking about people who live under the law in God's community. Hot indignation seizes me by all of these pretenders who just disregard you. Your statutes have been my songs in my sojourning. Oh, sometimes in this wilderness, this is all we have is just one little song to get us through the day. But it's enough. Now, I want you to just notice something from just Psalm 119. These are statements of emotions, aren't they? This is not someone who just has a plastic sense of, I see the truth of it, and uh, I agree with it, it's rational to me, next. This is someone emotionally engaged with, the, with these words. And by the way, this is also relational, right? Every single line of Psalm 119 is relational. It does not say, when I think of the rules from of old, when I think of your rules from of old, this is someone talking to God. I've always said, you know, in Psalm 119, are we reading someone who's madly in love with the written law of God or someone who's madly in love with God? Exactly. <laughs> so here's, here's this beautiful picture of delight. Now, those of you who maybe know your New Testament a little well, know books like Romans and particularly Romans chapter 7, does it ever strike you as strange that Psalm 1 says, how blessed is the person who delights in the law of God? And Romans 7 says, Thanks be to God, essentially, we're dead to the law so that we might bear fruit for God. Wait, how do those things go together? How are we dead to the law, and yet we delight in the law? Don't you just love those quandaries? Those, those make for beautiful things. Well, what we're dead to is the idea that the law is a set of rules to earn God's favor. That's called oppression, <laughs> 
that the law is a set of rules to earn God's favor. Instead, the law are guardrails to help us experience the favor of God that someone else has earned for us. That's the beauty of the law. This, this helps me actually experience the presence of God. It's not about rules to earn God's favor. It's about guardrails to experience the favor of God earned by his son on our behalf. That's why Psalm 112 uh, that Melanie read for us this, this morning. Look at Psalm 112 if you have a Bible this morning. It's sort of an expanded version in some ways of Psalm 1. Let's just walk through just a little bit of this. Again, this is all under the idea of what does it mean to delight in this book and all parts of it. Psalm 112 begins with hallelujah. That's literally what praise the Lord is in Hebrew. When you say hallelujah, you're speaking Hebrew. So be a Hebrew scholar. Just say hallelujah every so often. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And by the way, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Oh, it means to greatly delight in all of his commandments. You could say, blessed is the person who's in love with the Lord. They greatly delight in all their commandments. In fact, you don't have to say it. Jesus said it in John chapter 13. His offspring, and there's blessing. Not only is it a blessing to me, but our offspring are blessed by this. They become mighty in the land. Uh, they become the blessed in the land because wealth and riches, they, they, they show the visible signs of God's blessing. And they show the visible signs of an enduring righteousness, not a temporary righteousness, not a superficial righteousness, not a self-righteousness, but an enduring righteousness. Guess what? They're going to experience darkness in the blessed life, but light will dawn in the darkness for the upright. The blessed life isn't the absence of darkness, it's the presence of discovered light in the darkness. And guess what happens when we discover light in the darkness? We become conduits of grace, mercy, and what's right in life. We become channels of all of those things. Verse 5, it's well with a man who deals generously in leads, who conducts his affairs with justice. The reason God pours out wealth upon the righteous is because they're the ones who give it away the easiest. The righteous will never be moved. They'll be remembered forever. They're not afraid of bad news. They have a steady heart. They have an established heart, verse 8 says. They're trusting the Lord. They will not be afraid. They're confident. They'll look in triumph on their adversaries. And so it goes on. There's a beautiful picture here of the benefits of delighting in the law. And all of that comes about through an action. There, there's an action, if, if, I, if, I, if I can put it this way, there's an action that activates the law. It's as though the law of God, when we become a believer, has been written in our heart, but it needs to be activated. It's like instant coffee that needs water, but that's a horrible illustration because I hate instant coffee, but <laughs> you get the idea. So, um, but it, the action is meditating. They meditate, Psalm 1 says. And... Uh, by the way, let me just make a huge uh, caution here. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to him as your Savior and King, you can meditate all you want. And you might 
you might be a really good interpreter of the Bible, but you will not be affected by it. It will not bring delight to your soul. This is something that is only true for those who have the Spirit of God in them. What 1 Corinthians says, imagine you get a book. It doesn't even say Holy Bible on it. But just on the outside, you know how books are over-endorsed by all the people on the back cover? Uh, so imagine this, hearing this. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man even imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. That's what's on the inside of here. So it is. So it says in 1 Corinthians 2, that's the description of the word of God. The things God has revealed through the Spirit. Here are the hidden gems of the universe. And when you have the Holy Spirit, all you need is meditation to connect the Spirit of God with the word of God and do the work of God in your soul. And this idea of meditation, I would say, is the difference between the Bible being boring and predictable and it being life, it being, it being bread for you. Uh, it's, it's all about when you're in this book, there should be, as you grow older, there should be a sense in which almost every time, not all the time, but almost every time you hear this, you open it, you listen to it, it should be like light reaching down into the darkest parts of your soul, exposing darkness you never even knew was there, and freeing Christ to breathe and come out of your life more and more. Because every time we expose ourselves to this, we are reprogrammed by this word. That's why in Psalm 112 that we just read, he's not afraid of bad news. By the way, you can always take a line in the psalm and, and uh, do the anti-line. I'm afraid of bad news because I'm not trusting in the Lord. And so just reading that, one little verse programs me to retrust the Lord. And how do I do that? I tell myself, I know I will look in triumph on my adversaries. Whatever is threatening me right now, God's got it taken care of. Now, my prayer may not come true. The outcome that I want may not happen. But I know that my ultimate enemies will be defeated. That's what the psalm teaches me to do as I, as I meditate on it and think about it. And we are living in a time. I don't want to... The last thing I want to do on New Year's Day here is start your year by putting you under guilt. So if that's what you're feeling right now, you're not, I think, listening to the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to say. We are blessed to be living in a time when we have some of the best tools ever to meditate on the scriptures. I mean, there's a plethora. I mean, there's just, there's an army of stuff that we can use for people who are bad readers to people who can't read at all. Uh, to every age level, they're so accessible. They're so easy to get. You can, you can do uh, a five-minute Bible workout, you know, every day. And I guarantee you absolutely, if you know the Lord, just creating that habit will wonderfully transform you in this next year. You do not lack abilities. You do not lack tools. You do not lack access. But I'll tell you the one thing that doesn't get much attention at all. Most of us, sometime in our life, need a gym trainer. We need a mentor. And if you've gone to the gym your whole life and you've never had a trainer, 
my guess is that uh, the gym's getting a lot more money out of you than you're getting out of the gym. And so it is with the Word of God. Having someone mentor you for just a year, maybe, just six months even, can make a lifetime of difference. And so you might say, okay, I'm going to sign up for a mentor. And if you all did that, I will do everything in my power to get you a mentor. Seriously. I know I just said something I'm going to regret. But anyway, (laughs) if that's something you've never had, many of you in this room I do know have had that and you're benefiting from it. And you could really be mentors to others. But anyway, I think I've gotten my point across. I want you to look back at Psalm 1 and see one other thing here before we, we move on. It involves resistance and determination. Verse 1. Let me reread verse 1 with a little bit of this idea of resistance in it. Blessed is the person who's constantly aware of the tendency to walk in the counsel of the wicked who's watching for that, who's alert to that, so that they can resist when walking turns into standing and when standing turns into sitting. This is a beautiful way to write a psalm, isn't it? You start walking, then you stop and you start standing and listening, and next thing you know, you're sitting. You're hunkering right down with them. Blessed is the person who resists that gravitational pull. And the way they do it is verse 2. They delight in the law of the Lord, and they do that by meditating, not just occasionally, but day and night. Does this mean literally, when I get up in the morning and night? Uh, not really, but yeah, but sort of, but not. Don't get hung up on that. It's Again, it's just the idea about constancy. Don't take it too literally. It's about day and night are a way of saying all the time. Just like pray unceasing. Okay, no one literally prays unceasing, but you know what it means. It just means constantly being in conversation to some extent with the Lord. So this idea of resistance and determination is there in verse 1. That's what we need, and that's another reason why I would argue for a mentor if you've never experienced that. Now, that's the main activity. What to anticipate in a blessed new year? Psalm 1 says, anticipate flourishing and being known. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. This is simply a beautiful agricultural picture uh, of a tree that year after year is still growing. It's still flourishing. It's still producing leaves. It has bad seasons and good seasons, but it's hanging in there. It's getting rooted. It's growing Proverbs 4 paints a beautiful picture of this. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that grows brighter and brighter until the full day. Like the sun rising in the morning that gets brighter and brighter till high noon. That's the trajectory of everybody who belongs to Jesus. That is the trajectory of everybody who belongs to Jesus. And meditating just simply fertilizes that. It just makes for bigger trees. But every tree grows in Jesus. Uh, so that's the, that's the promise. And it's because we're rooted in good soil. In fact, several scholars of the book of Psalms would reinterpret verse 3 this way. The person who delights and meditates on the, on the law of the Lord day and night They are like a tree that has been transplanted 
by running waters. That word can mean transplanted. They're like a tree. That's what we're an unbeliever. We're dying in the desert. And God takes us and transplants us. And he puts us into the stream of Christ. And if you've ever flown over the desert, like I did just a few weeks ago, uh, you always notice that something interesting. And that is that uh, there is nothing growing anywhere. And then all of a sudden there's trees everywhere. And it's either because human beings have dug some kind of well and accessed the rare amount of water they have out there, or there's some kind of river around. And that's the picture that the Jews would have seen here in their desert climate as well. And then verse 6 the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows. The word knows here means to be intimately aware of and to maintain a caring relationship with. In a word, the Lord recognizes you. The way a mother recognizes their child in a crowd. The Lord recognizes you. And he doesn't just recognize you. He sets his affections upon you. He sees you for what you truly are. Boy, I wish, I wish we could get this point across. I don't know how many times in my life, too many, I'm ashamed to say, when my first thoughts when I talk to the Lord is what's wrong with me. It's not his first thoughts of us. He sees us in Christ. He wishes we would. We sure would be relieved of a ton of weight if we could just so bask in that and so bathe in that. And then here's the other thing. Uh, the opposite of this person is described in verse 4. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. They're empty. They get emptier and emptier as life goes on. And by the way, they're not known by the Lord. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? I never knew you. I never knew you. So one, one more thing I'll say from this, and we're only going to spend a minute on Psalm 2 in case you're wondering if this is going to be one of the, a new trend of sermons that go for an hour and a half. In 23, nope. Um, I just find this interesting in so many places in the Bible. It shows up in John 15 when Jesus speaks about the vine. It shows up in Paul in Galatians when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. The blessed life, the blessed life is passively experienced over the long haul and not in the short run. You ever wonder if you're growing as a believer? I would want, I'm guessing that when you wonder that question, you're taking a short view of your life rather than a long view. You're taking a three-foot level instead of the 30,000-foot level. You're not seeing your life over the, over the many years and over the many uh, experiences that you've had. The Christian life, the blessed life, defies some kind of simple formula. Like today is January 1st. I want you all to make a spiritual resolution so that you can be radically different this year than last year. Eh. This doesn't work that way in Scripture at all. It's really about this idea of just believing that God has promised you growth. It's relaxing into these promises, even as we meditate 
even as we delight in that. What meditation does is it helps us see what's really true. It helps us see the promise of God unfolding in the actual details of our lives, not in just what we feel about ourselves or about the world at the moment. The more we see what the Bible promises actually happening in our life and in the world around us, the less and less we will overbelieve in our feelings. And the less and less our feelings will become in line with what the Lord has in mind. It'll help us sort them out. I like this uh, summary from uh, someone gave me a book at Christmas. It's a, it's a book that turns all the Psalms into short prayers called Sheltering Mercy. And this is what it says of Psalm 1. Grant me the grace to walk in your ways, to cherish your friendship over the fellowship of the fallen. That's Psalm 1, verse 1. And then I love this phrasing. Soul-shaped as I am by the company I keep. Soul-shaped as you and I are by the company I keep. Pressed and formed for good or for ill. The godless are lifeless, withered stalks, bent by the wind. Such are those who shun your mercy. They forfeit seats at your table, refusing your wedding garments. And don't we see this over and over again? Choosing nakedness over grace. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Now, if Psalm 1 is what a blessed new year looks like, Just a word on Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is why we should expect this next year, and by the way, every year, to be a blessed year. Psalm 1 is what a blessed year looks like. Psalm 2 is why we who belong to Jesus should expect every year to be a blessed year. Let me read it to you. Psalm 2 Verses 1 through 3, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is another name for the Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The blessed life is not a suffering free life. There's opposition. In fact, to join Jesus is to take sides in this world. And there's only two sides in this world. Darkness is always threatened by the smallest amount of light. Darkness is always threatened by the smallest amount of light. But light, however, is not threatened by darkness at all. Read on. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Seriously? I mean, this is the one time I can see the Lord saying, seriously? You think I'm threatened by you? The Lord holds them in derision. He he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, here's God's solution. I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. End of story. But he goes on. (laughs) I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. This is King David speaking, but he's looking forward to a descendant of his. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth's your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So here is this, uh, here's this just unchangeable reason for us every single year. 
we can expect this year to be a blessed new year. Because we have a king who can't be corrupted and who can't be removed and who is very much right now in charge. Amen indeed. Think about it. By the very fact that everything that is exists and ceases to exist because of God, that means that it's impossible, rationally speaking, for God to ever be threatened by anything because everything that is is because of him and everything that exists is because of him and at any moment it can cease to exist because of him. No threat whatsoever. And so to show this, to give us evidence, as Romans 8 says, that God is for us in all circumstances, to everyone who loves him, to everyone who surrendered their life to him, to show us that God became one of us. He sent his son, this incorruptible, unremovable one, and he made him a king. And he removed every conceivable threat against us. Psalm 2 calls that the nations. In the language of the time, the threats against Israel were other nations. For us, it's bigger than that. There is no threat that exists that threatens us in terms of all that God has promised to us. Oh, it does threaten a lot of things we hold dear, <laughs> but that's part of the problem, isn't it? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let me... Let me connect this to communion. But before I do that, I'm going to ask those serving to come forward, the worship team. And as we always say, this is a table where we come forward, we take of the bread and cup, we take of the body and blood of Christ for you, as we like to say when you come forward. It's for anybody here who calls Jesus their Savior and their King. And we're going to do something a little different to prepare for communion today. Normally there's a time of silence, and then I pray, and then we all come forward today. We're going to do something a little different. If Psalm 1 is about a daily action called meditation then Psalm 2 is about a daily attitude, surrender. And I, I can't think of a better way to, to visualize what surrender is. You literally come forward, surrendering your lives and bowing before the body and blood of Christ, as it were. You're not going to physically do that in case you're wondering, oh man, is that what he's talking about? No. <clears throat> um, Communion really is a way of making sure the hose between you and the Lord is unkinked. Uh, when, we, when we come forward, what we're doing is we're experiencing the, this idea of the Lord being our refuge. The refuge means protection. We need you, Lord, to protect us. That's why we're coming and taking the body and blood of Christ. We need you to be our refuge. And there are three wonderful verbs here in Psalm 2. It says in verse 10, be wise, kings. So I would apply that to all of us. Be wise. If you want the Lord to be your, re your refuge, three verbs, serve, rejoice, kiss. We come up here and we say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm your slave. I'm here to serve you. We come up here and we rejoice 
that we are forever right with God. We come up here and we kiss. We, as it were, kiss the king. We bow before him. We say, I serve at the pleasure of the king no matter the assignment. That's, all, that's, that's the attitude that's ours to be daily, just as meditation is ours to be daily. We, and what a great way to do this as we begin a new year to say, Lord, here's all my wants for two, 23. Here's all my desires. Here's all my hopes. Here's all my fears. They're yours. Do with them as you see fit. We can be like Mary before Gabriel, who said, Behold, I'm a slave of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And she had no idea in some sense what she was yielding to. So what we're going to do that's different today, instead of just silently reflecting, we're going to reflect through a song. Because I love the song we sang at the beginning so much, I want us to sing it one more time. It's not just a song that goes with a familiar tune. It's a song about surrender. All glory be to Christ. Do you know what else it is that I love about this song? It's like so many things in the world that are used to worship something else that the Christian church comes along and steals and points it to the only one worth worshiping. Amen? So let's sing it, and then I'll pray. stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders rise. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at the dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever stand, all glory be to Christ. His will be done. His will be done, His kingdom come on earth as is above. Who is Himself our daily bread? Praise Him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. On that day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. 
and we shall e'er his people be all glory be to christ all glory be to christ our king all glory be to christ his rule and reign will ever sing all glory be to christ all glory be to christ our king all glory be to christ his rule and reign will ever sing all glory be to And so, Father, we come now to this table of your Son as we're drawn by your Spirit, you who have made us one and you who have also made us clean because of Christ's sacrifice. We come eager to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. 